0: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God, for a special consideration this morning is our first lesson, 1 Samuel 20, verses 12-17. to 17. It's printed in your bulletin and already read. Your friends in Christ, Jesus could hardly have said it more simply than he did in our Gospel today. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. The command, love each other, the definition, as Jesus loved us. But what exactly does that mean? How did Jesus love his disciples and love people? Well, it wasn't any kind of conditional love. He didn't only love those who loved Him first or who did something for Him or who showed themselves worthy. In fact, He went out of His way to show His love for those who could do Him no favors and who could offer no merit of their own. But neither was Christ's love in any way opposed to right living or good works. It certainly was not license The tax collectors, adulterers, adulteresses, and other sinners that he spent time with were not told, hey, I would never judge. You're great just the way you are. Yes, they were offered forgiveness. But they were also told to repent and leave their lives of sin. His love did not set aside, but instead upheld all of God's moral law, condemning sin and praising holiness. Now, of course, we could draw compar- contrasts and comparisons all day, but there really is one best way to know what Christ's uh, ha, as I have loved you, what it, that really means. We don't look at emotion but we look at action. That's how to know what this love is. We know it by what He did for us. And the what is informed by both the how and the why. So, what did Jesus do? Though all power, majesty, and glory was His from eternity, the Son of God willingly left his place in heaven, set aside the powers and privileges of his divinity, and took on human flesh, becoming a man just like us, beginning as as an embryo in the womb of his mother just as we did. He took no shortcuts to fulfill his purpose, but but grew up as, as any other boy into manhood, the humble son of a humble family in a humble town in Galilee. And after waiting some 30 years to make himself known and to enter into his mission, when he finally began his public work, he avoided those who would make him king or give him earthly advantages, but instead focused on teaching a message of repentance and grace to all who would hear. He drew disciples to himself, but But they were chosen not from the ranks of the influential, but from the ordinary. And he taught and invested himself in them for three years. And then, when the time had come, Jesus loved by giving his entire self, body, blood, breath, life on the altar of the cross. So what kind of love was this? God's love. Perfect love. Agape love. This is not mere affection or fondness, but rather it is self-sacrificing love that has only the good of the beloved at heart and in mind. A reading earlier from 1 Corinthians shows that kind of love with with all kinds of descriptions of what love does and does not do as it puts the other first and sets one's own advantage aside. The way Jesus loved us involved every one of those aspects. But we might add one more description. Love stands up. Because that tells us again what Jesus did for those He loved, for His disciples, for us, for sinners, for all people. In heaven, God looked down and saw His creation in distress. Every man, woman, and child conceived in sin, born in sin, practiced in sin, guilty of sin, and therefore captive to sin and to Satan, cursed to die and condemned to hell. We were in great danger in the direst of situations and there was no hope of salvation because as sinners, not one of us could ever do anything to escape our guilt or make ourselves righteous enough to gain God's favor on our own. There was no one who could help us. We certainly couldn't help ourselves. But then, in love, seeing our distress, Christ stands up. The Father called His Son to serve us and He stood up to save us. He did not run when His enemies threw false accusations against Him. He did not bend when they scourged and abused Him. He stood up when they placed a crown of thorns on His head and a cross on His shoulders. And He stood up when they stretched Him out and nailed His hands and feet to a cross to suffer and die, He stood up for us because we could not stand for ourselves and because no one else could stand for us. He suffered everything and gave Himself over entirely to pay for our sins with His own life. That's how He loved us and that is how he calls us to love each other not the exact same way of course we cannot save any from anyone from their sins as he did but in the same manner with the same kind of self-giving other-serving love that he showed in standing up when where and how we needed it most that command that intention. That kind of love might might sometimes seem intimidating. We, we, we might even listen to our sinful nature when, when it tells us that it is an impossible standard to live up to, so we shouldn't even try. Fortunately, God does not give us only the perfect example of His perfect Son to follow. He includes others in Scriptures. And in today's first lesson, we are presented with a much more human example to learn from, the friendship of Jonathan and David. This is probably the point to mention that our society today has trouble talking about love and friendship, particularly between men. And a big part of that problem is, is that the more it has left God's standards for marriage and sexuality behind, the more our culture has sexualized every sort of love. So that close friendship like that of David and Jonathan must be interpreted as homosexuality. There is a good chance that your first thought on hearing me read because of the love that he had for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul, was either discomfort or something like, could they have been that way? This idea that every kind of love, except for now, familial love, must be expressed sexually is is responsible for many messed up relationships, confused people, weak or missing friendships, and just plain a lot of what's wrong in today's society. Young people become convinced that they, they must be gay because they have strong feelings for a friend of the same sex, not understanding that, that a deep, loving friendship, even between members of the same sex, is another and better option. Two people who could enjoy a wonderful bond with with a long-lasting, meaningful, and satisfying love, never form that friendship for fear of how it might be seen, or, or simply because there are so few real-life models of such friendship to follow. Relationships and marriages are, are broken because one party to the marriage forms a friendship with with someone else and and assumes that these new strong feelings must be expressed sexually. Today, even some of the most popular forms of entertainment present without strong judgment the idea that, that young age and family relationships really shouldn't be a barrier to acting on deep desires and devoted love in such ways. Such misunderstanding, misuse, and twisting of love is not healthy, not pleasing to God, and certainly not the kind of love Christ calls us to. And it is not what Jonathan and David had. They were friends who loved each other as God loves us, not the way a husband loves a wife. Their friendship began when Jonathan, who was the first son of the first king over all Israel, Saul, found a kindred spirit in David. Both were young and brave warriors who loved the Lord and loved his people. So they fought Israel's enemies, and they found success on the battlefield because they trusted the Lord and not their own strength. So when Saul became jealous of David, because of the praise he got from the people after his victory over the giant Goliath and in battle with the Philistines, Jonathan defended his friend before his father, even when Saul wanted David dead. And at first, Saul listened, and his son managed to change his father's mind about David. But as time went by, the king's jealousy just grew and grew. He threw a spear at the young man when he was playing his lyre in the court, but he missed. He sent messengers to David's house so that he might kill him in the morning when he woke up, but David's wife, who was Saul's daughter and Jonathan's sister, helped him escape out a window unseen. When later Saul found out that David was hiding in the town of Ramah, he sent men after him more than once, eventually going himself to find him and get him. Then David left Ramah and met with Jonathan, his dear friend, and asked what he had done. What he was so guilty of to anger the king so much. Jonathan did not want to believe that his father, his father was really trying to kill his friend. But David understood that because Saul knew they were such close friends that he would not be likely to tell Jonathan what he really had in mind. So they worked out a a test, a a way to find out what was really going on. A test that that would be carried out at a, a feast the king was holding that David was expected to be at. And then Saul's reaction, when he learned that David wasn't there, would tell Jonathan what the situation really was. The test was successful, were not happy, Saul was enraged when he heard that Jonathan had excused David from attending the feast, and he then commanded his son to bring David to him to be killed. And then, when Jonathan asked, "Why? Why should he be put to death? What has he done?" His father threw his spear at him, at his own son. So it was clear that David was no longer safe anywhere near Saul or his court, which meant that he and his dear friend would no longer be able to enjoy their friendship, to spend time together. The verses that we read earlier from 1 Samuel 20 are Jonathan's plan and request to deal with that eventuality. He sought from David an assurance that even if, as the test did reveal, Saul proved himself to be David's enemy that when the Lord gave David victory as Jonathan knew he would, David would not include Jonathan or his family in the just vengeance that he would take on Saul's forces. And of course, David made that promise. They loved each other. And even though they were just friends, this was the kind of love that stands up. First and foremost, both stood with the Lord. He was their hope and their confidence and the number one love of their lives. But knowing what kind of loving and merciful, giving God they had meant that Jonathan stood up for David when his father wanted him dead. He stood up for him against this injustice, and he stood up even though it put his own life at risk. And even though, as Saul reminded him, if David became king, Jonathan himself would never gain the throne of Israel. But Jonathan set all of his own self interest aside and instead concerned himself only with what was best for the one he loved. And David did the same. He knew that the throne would eventually be his, not because he was ambitious, but because God had chosen him for it through the prophet Samuel. And so he was able to set his self-interest aside to promise his friend that, that no desire for vengeance and no plan to secure his claim to the kingdom would ever touch Jonathan or his family even though it would have made good political sense for him to destroy everyone connected to Saul. David stood up for Jonathan in that moment and gave his word that he would always stand up. And he kept that word. And he honored that love, even after years of hardship and battle, with Paul pursuing him to kill him. And even after Jonathan died in battle with the Philistines, David never cut off his mercy from Jonathan's house forever. That is the standard for our love. Because that's the way Jesus loved us and still loves us. He doesn't give up or slack off. He stands up for us all the time. He offers forgiveness when we sin, even even when we return again and again. Treasonously to the same offenses and rebellions. He pleads for us with his father when we bring our prayers. He protects us from the assaults of Satan. He heals us when we are hurt and comforts us when we grieve or mourn. We do not deserve any of it. We cannot earn it, but he gives it freely. Graciously, He shows us grace and mercy and stands up to serve us because He loves us. So, of course, we now love one another as He has loved us, as He has shown us, and as we see in examples like the friendship of Jonathan and David. This is how we show our thanks and our love to God for His gift of free and full salvation. And and this is how we want to live and to be. Because He has made us, through faith, new creatures in Christ. Made us children of light who, who imitate Him in every way that we can. And so, because we are Christians, When we love, our love stands up. When the voiceless need a voice or the defenseless need defending, we stand up with with the courage that comes from knowing God stands with us to strengthen us and protect us. When someone is being led away from Christ and salvation, we do the loving thing and stand up for the truth of Scripture because without it, the Gospel is lost. When all around us, people are calling right wrong and wrong right, we stand up not just for morality, but for reality. Because love cannot stand aside while so many people are harmed and even led to hell by such lies. But as with David and Jonathan, where the rubber meets the road is our relationships. Stand-up love means that, that we invest in and nurture our friendships. It means that we do not turn away when a brother or sister needs our help, but turn And face the trouble with him or her, even when it's late or inconvenient or we're tired or have troubles of our own. When your husband messes up, love doesn't pile on to humiliate him, but stands up to support him and restore his self respect. When your wife just doesn't seem to get it, love doesn't put her down or devalue her, but stands up and lifts her up and says, what a treasure God has given me. How can I love her better in every one of our relationships? Love shows the courage and generosity of sacrifice. Love sets aside one's own desires and advantage. Love puts the other's interests first and love never lets the beloved stand alone against adversity. Is this hard? Sure it is. It goes against our sinful nature, and it's certainly not how the world around us tells us to live and to love. Is this worth it? Absolutely. Because this is God's way of loving us, Christ's way of living with and for others, what we are called to, and by this the world will know that we are Christ's disciples. And as hard as it might be, as much of a struggle some days it might be, God has promised and gives us everything we need, strength and wisdom and guidance and power and courage to do this, to be like Him. It is the best way to live. Love stands up. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.